0: All right, we're running behind. On this Mother's Day of 2023, I wanna take a moment to, before I get started to honor our moms. Let me just start by saying that I have always believed that the female gender was the superior one. I just have. Because uh, ladies, your capacity to, to love and forgive and endure, I believe, is far far exceeds anything a man ever could or would. You always have a way out. you do you, you always have a way of looking at circumstances differently, and though it's usually a circumstance in a way that's kind of foreign to us men, honestly, it is a refreshing viewpoint. And any man worth his weight would be wise and do himself a favor to consider and listen to your point of view. Because I believe that deep inside of all of you ladies is the capacity to see past the moment. There is hope in that there is great potential in that and and there's certainly wisdom that we can all learn from. You ladies have an inner strength that helps you, I think Erica even said it this morning, helps you to keep on keeping on, no matter what it is that, that life throws at you. And the standard that the world has set for you, well, it must be exhausting to try to attain, because honestly, it's unfair. And it's, it's unrealistic. And yet, every day you strive to try to hit that mark. You show grace when, when most of us men are ready to square our shoulders and go to battle. But God forbid if anyone messes with one of your babies, then you become like a bear. Men try to be like bears all the time, but you only, this is a particular character trait that you only bring out when needed. And let me tell you, when that happens, anybody would be wise to just stand down. (laughs) You are natural nurturers and teachers. You always direct your children in the way that they should go. And I thank God for mothers who are faithful to bringing their families to church. I thank God for mothers who clearly understand their role in helping to lay a proper foundation in the hearts of their children. And I thank God for mothers who do their best to keep the family unit together and engaged even long after the children grow up and move away to all your moms let me to all the moms let me just say your influence in our life is essential the guidance and the direction that you provide us is priceless and as i've said many times before without you we would all be running around stupid dirty hungry confused and without any manners at all So as your pastor and as the congregation of this church, we want to honor all of you today. So every mom, will you please stand to your feet so we can give you a round of applause. As you leave today, we've got some ro- a rose to give you. This is a little reminder of how much we love and care for each and every one of you, so be sure you get it on your way out. You know, every Mother's Day, I'm challenged about what I should speak on because there are hundreds of you here today who are not mothers. I'm also acutely aware that not everyone sees Mother's Day as a joyous occasion like others do. What I mean is that we all come from different backgrounds. We all have different experiences regarding our own mothers. There are fond memories for some, and there are difficult memories for others. For some, this day brings with it sadness from past scars, even grief from personal loss, So I have to weigh all of these considerations when I decide what I'm gonna speak on. Today, I've decided to bring a message that I believe affects every single one of us. And though my sermon isn't just for moms, the reason for me presenting it comes from a conversation that I had with a concerned mother here at High Point, which is really part of an ongoing conversation that I've had with many Christian mothers in the years that I have been in ministry. And it should come as no surprise to you that that moms think a lot about their kids. They think a lot about their future. They also think about what they've done right as a mom and also what they've done wrong as a mom to a fault. And I've come to learn how much mothers grieve when their children are not serving the Lord. Even though they were brought up in a Christian home They were taught the word of God. They saw the Christian life being lived out before them every day. Many children have chosen to distance themselves from their faith. They're walking outside of their God-given purpose. In the Christian world, we use the term prodigal to refer to one of those who are living away from Christ. So what is a prodigal? Well, by definition, it has to do with uh, being extravagantly wasteful. But for our purposes today, it has everything to do with the story in the Bible about the prodigal son who asked for his inheritance early. He left home, he squandered it, spent every, every dime on lascivious living. He ended up broke and destitute, and yet through all of that, his father welcomed him back home with open and loving arms. And this story is a clear example of God welcoming his wayward children back home after they have departed from the truth. So a prodigal refers to any child, any husband, any wife, any friend, any relative, anyone who you've played a part in teaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet who has chosen to walk away from that truth. Over the years, I've heard many heart-rending statements, rendering statements like, my daughter's not saved, I pray for her, but oftentimes I can't. I find myself getting angry that she isn't responding, and I feel incapable of helping her. How and what can I pray for that will make a difference and that will make her come to Jesus? These words represent mothers and fathers all over the world who pray for their prodigal children, often for years with seemingly no results. And I'm aware that praying parents must at some point feel like giving up. It's hard not to get angry when you see your children repeatedly making bad choices and showing no interest at all in God. So what do you do? How do you keep on believing for your own prodigal son or daughter? How do you keep believing for your prodigal spouse or brother or sister or relative or loved one? Well, my intention this morning is to hopefully bring you some perspective, some encouragement, and some hope when you wonder if the one that you love will ever come around. And I think the best place for us to start this morning is to be reminded that an astounding miracle lies at the heart of our Christian faith. We believe something absolutely incredible, that a man who was dead came back to life on the third day, that God raised him up. Now if God can do that for his son Jesus, if God has the power to raise the dead to life and we know that he does, then who are we to question God's power to change the hardest of hearts? God holds the power in his hands to make everything happen. So yes, he can bring your prodigal back home again. And certainly nothing is more important than praying for our prodigals because we love them. We want them to experience the abundant life that only Christ can provide. We want them to have the assurance of eternal life in God's presence when Jesus comes to take them home. But having said that, we still have this tendency that when nothing seems to be happening, when we, we can start and we start to become a little bit overwhelmed, that many of us are tempted to give up. So I think that where we must start is with the God who can raise the dead and not with our loved ones who are spiritually dead. After all, if you went to the cemetery and you were waiting for a resurrection, you'd be waiting a long time. So you can't start with what your eyes see or even what you can figure out in your own mind. And furthermore, you can't trust your feelings in this matter because your emotions, well, they will always play tricks on you. If it is God alone who can raise the dead then our focus must be on God alone. And speaking about praying for our prodigals, here are two verses you can use as the basis for your prayer. One is found in Proverbs 21.1. It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And then Ephesians 1.18 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You're praying that for your prodigal. Did you know that the the heart has eyes? When Paul speaks of your heart here, he's not referring to the organ in your chest that pumps blood throughout your body. The term heart refers to what we might call the real you. It's that place inside where the decisions of life are made. The heart is the place where you decide what values you are going to live by, by what direction you will go and how you will live your life each and every day. Every important decision that you make is made by your heart and your heart has eyes and they can either be opened or they can be closed. So when the eyes of your heart are closed to the light of God, What happens is you stumble blindly through life and you make one dumb choice after another. Can I have a witness? You fall into sinful patterns. You break God's law. You end up driving into the ditch. You make the same mistakes over and over and over again because the eyes of your heart are closed to the light of God and you lack moral vision. That means that you can see and yet be blind at the same time. You can have 20-20 vision with your physical eyes, but if the eyes of your heart are blind to the light of God, then that's exactly where your prodigal is right now. We see this principle at work when we witness to people who don't know Jesus. After sharing the gospel with them as best we can, sometimes they'll just simply say, you know, I just don't see this. And that's really not an excuse. They truly don't see it. That's why at times you can talk to a person till you're blue in the face, you can quote scriptures all day long and that person can still remain lost. Why? Because until their eyes are opened, they will not see the truth of Jesus Christ. So what's the answer? Well, we must pray for our lost, that God will open their eyes pray that that he will give uh, life in place of death, that he will enable them the ability to be able to see and to hear the things of God, that he would create within them a desire to understand, give them the hunger for Jesus, and then grant them the faith, not just to receive, but to believe in what they're being told. In short, as we prepare to share Christ with other people, God will go before us. When we pray for the lost, we must fervently pray to God, you go first. Because if you don't, my efforts, Lord, are gonna be in vain. So today, if you have a prodigal in your life, I want you to pray like this. Lord, open the eyes of their heart so that they might see Jesus. That's a song we sing here, and it's a very good prayer. The prayer is so simple. And yet it is, it is so profound because apart from God's grace, we all have the same problem. All of us. Only God can open the eyes of our heart. And when God opens those eyes, they will see the truth and the light from heaven will come flooding in. So I want to see to all of the mothers here this morning or any parent for that matter, do not focus on your children going to hell and the fear that, you, that grips you about that. Instead, focus your prayers upon God and his power to change their heart and to open their eyes. You know, as your, as your pastor, I often reflect on how quickly we humans can fall, but also not, not how quickly we can fall, but how far we can fall and how easy it is for us to deceive ourselves and others. And this speaks to an inner battle that that we experience from time to time and it's written about in a well-known hymn. It says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I know that many of you here today have prodigals in your family. You have loved ones were far away from the Lord. Some of them grew up in Sunday school. They were raised to love Jesus. Some of them could quote a multitude of scriptures when they were young. Some of them were leaders in their youth group. Some of them went to a Christian university. Some went on missions trips, and some are preachers, and some were missionaries, but today they are far from God. Some of them are doing things right now that if you knew would shock you if you knew about them. And so as we begin to think about our prodigals, we must remember this key point. No matter what you think about the way your prodigal is living, no matter how angry you can get with the choices and the decisions that they make, the root problem is never on the outside. It's always on the inside. I mean, we may be at church every Sunday, smiling and singing and going through the motions with rebellion deep in our own hearts. So the problem is always in the heart. That's really good news because there's only one person who can change a heart and he specializes in divine heart surgery. It's not an outer change that we need, it's, a, it's instead a deep inner transformation by the Holy Spirit of the living God. And let me tell you, Something Sometimes in our attempt to reach our prodigals, we can intervene too soon. Let me explain to you what I mean. Do you remember what happened to the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15? After he wasted all of his inheritance, he ended up feeding the pigs. Eugene Peterson writes this. He was so hungry, he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. As you hear that, you might think, well, that young man is ready for a new life, right? Maybe so, maybe not. In this story that Jesus told, the father waited for his son to return and then he ran to meet him while he was still a long ways from home where you could see him from the distance. But what if the father in that story had gone after his son and tried to bring him back even one day earlier? The son would have probably said something like this. If, if only you had left me alone for one more day, Dad, I would have made all my money back. I have a plan. You see, we may think that somebody has hit rock bottom, but they haven't yet because they're still scheming their way out of their problems. The Bible says it was not until the son came to his senses that he decided to return home. The moment has to come when your prodigal son or daughter sees or comes to their senses, and that time cannot be predicted, nor can that time be forced on anybody. If you come a day too soon, your prodigal will always think with one more day, I could have figured it out. I could have solved my own problems. As long as the scheming, as long as the lying and the deceiving continues, the best thing we can do is pray, ladies and gentlemen. Prayer is our greatest tool. We must pray for God's spirit to to bring them to their senses, and then we must wait patiently until he does. So underlying all of this, you'll find two bits of important theology. First of all, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And secondly, God knows how to reach us at exactly the right moment. Jonah. The reluctant prophet, is a, is a he found this truth out the hard way. And I'm gonna use his story this morning for you to see how it is that God works when prodigals are on the run. In fact, if you wanna to turn to Jonah chapter one, you can follow along with us. The scriptures will be up on the screen behind me. Jonah was, was on a boat headed for Tarshish. He's running from the Lord. When God told him to go to Nineveh, Jonah says, I think I'll go to Tarshish instead. When God said, go east, Jonah said, I'm going to go west. And so he did. He went down to Joppa where he found a boat that was bound for Tarshish. And and, and so he paid for his fare. He he, uh, boarded the ship. And when the ship left harbor, what he did is he went down below to take a nap. Things seemed to be working out quite nicely, just like he planned. He was having a comfortable Mediterranean cruise. And soon he would be in Tarshish. A beautiful city in Spain and there he could live the high life and 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 away from the presence of God or so he thought Jonah's story is a pretty picture of of a self-satisfied man who seemed to have gotten away with disobedience But whenever you read a story like this in the Bible, you got to know that that the boom's going to drop soon. There's going to be a change in the story coming, and that's exactly what happens here. Because understand, God will not allow his straying children to live in sin forever. So let's take a look at how God begins this process of bringing Jonah back. And I want to share with you five ways in which God deals, dealt with Jonah, and and I want to walk through them because God deals with our own prodigals in very much the same manner when they disobey. And here's number one. God sends storms to get their or our attention. In Jonah one, verses four through five, it says, "But but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God." It must have been a violent storm, because these men, they were professional sailors. They had seen it all. So if they were scared, this must have really been some kind of a storm. So they gathered together for the first interfaith prayer meeting that you'll find in the Bible, with each man crying out to his own God. Listen, we all know that life can turn on on a dime. God knows exactly how to get your and my attention. God is infinitely creative, and he can send storms our way in many different ways. He can send the storm of, of adverse circumstances. He can send the storm of the sudden death of a loved one. He can send the storm of a financial collapse or of trouble in your marriage or of a desperately sick child or a career implosion. God can use so many different ways to bring a storm into our life. And while you're in the storm, you tend to be fearful and you tend to be angry and you tend to be frustrated. But it's only later on that you realize that God brought you that storm to get your attention. And it's actually mercy from God. Number two, God allows others to suffer because of our sin. Everyone on board that ship is endangered by Jonah's sin and by his foolish rebellion. Think about this, we never sin alone. We may be alone when we sin, but we never sin alone. Our sin, our compromise, our deceit always injures our spouse, our children, our family, and our friends. Every step we take out of the will of God hurts those around us. Here's number three. God sends someone to challenge us. The ship is groaning and it's creaking and it's under the weight of the the heavy winds and and the weight and the waves. And and the men are throwing cargo overboard in a desperate attempt to, to lighten the ship up. And where's Jonah while all this is going on? You would think he'd be up there helping the sailors on the deck. Not a chance. He's still down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. How could a man sleep during a storm like this? Well, the devil has his sleeping pills too. He has his narcotics. He knows how to put us to sleep when the world is crashing in around us. I mean, how else can you explain a man's reckless behavior by having one extramarital affair after another, after another, after another? How else can you explain a politician who breaks the law and then lies with impunity? How can you explain to me a person who has lung or throat cancer and continues to smoke their cigarettes? The devil can put us to sleep when the ship sinks or the house burns, or the world fall is falling apart around us. But I want you to look what happened next in verse six. The captain went to him, to Jonah, and said, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. At this point, the, the captain, who is no doubt a pagan, has more faith than Jonah does. Seeing the danger, he wants Jonah to wake up. And furthermore, he wants Jonah to start praying. You see, church, the world doesn't want our sermons. They want our prayers. The world doesn't generally care what we say or what we do in here on Sunday mornings. It's mostly irrelevant and boring to them, which is why every Sunday, a lot of people don't go to church anywhere. The world doesn't care about our religion, but the world does want us to pray. Get up, Jonah. Call on your God. Maybe he can save us. Even if the world doesn't want our religion, they want our prayers. We claim to know the living God. We claim to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We claim to have access to the God of the universe. The world knows all of this. And even, though, and even if the world doesn't want our religion, it desperately wants our prayers. The people in the world say to us, can't you see what's happening? My marriage is falling apart. My kids are in trouble. I've lost my job. My husband has cancer. We can't pay the bills. You say you know God. Well, if you do, wake up and please pray for us. So church, we must pray for our prodigals. And for all those around us who are lost and who are desperately in need of Jesus, we all wonder how to reach this generation that seems so turned off to God, so turned off to any kind of religion. Well, here is a simple question that you can use to open up a spiritual conversation with most anybody you run into. How can I pray for you? Those simple six words can make such a difference because few people will ever turn you down if you ask them that question. So why, like Jonah, are so many of us still sleeping in the hull of the ship? They can certainly do without all of our sermons, but they can't live without our prayers. And here's a truth worth remembering. If they get our prayers, they might one day listen to our sermons. It's that simple. Jonah 1, 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So Jonah is now found out by the casting of lots. Now this may seem like a, a chance event to you, but as Proverbs sixteen thirty three reminds us, the lot is cast into the lap but it is every decision, excuse me, but it's every decision comes from the Lord. There are no accidents in life. There are no random events. There are no such thing as luck. And so now having been outed by the casting of the lots, Jonah confesses his true identity. He he has already told them that he's running from God, but now he tells them who he really is in verse nine. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Isn't it amazing how God works? We may run, we may run, but God will will bring up to us again and again the place where we finally have to come and tell the truth. Jonah has been living like a pagan, and the truth is the pagans are actually living far above his own level. I think another way For us to say that is, you can be a pagan or you can be a Christian, but you can't do both at the same time. And what I mean by that is very, very simple. If you're gonna be a Christian, put on your uniform and get in the game. And if you're not gonna do that, then turn your uniform in and go to a different team. The world expects you and I to act like a Christian. So let's start acting like them. Actually, we we can even strengthen that statement by saying the world wants us to act like we say we are, a man or a woman of God. So live like one, act like one, talk like one, and most importantly, pray like one. The world is waiting for real believers who are not ashamed to stand up for what they believe. The people of the world want Christians to be real. They do. So look at what happens next. Things are about to get worse for old Jonah. And here's the fourth point. God makes us face the consequences of our own foolish choices. Jonah knows that all of this is his fault. So when the sailors ask him what they should do, what it is they should do that might calm the seas, he offers the only solution that makes sense. Look at verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. But that's not what they did, at least immediately. Verse 13 says, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more temp- tempestuous against them. At this point, the ungodly have more compassion than the prophet of God. They care more about him, they care more about Jonah than Jonah does about them. And by the way, be careful about deciding who's on God's side and who's not. Don't be so quick to jump to conclusions about other people, because things aren't always as they appear on the surface. Consider this story, if you will, for just a moment. There is one prayer recorded in in Jonah chapter one. And it's not Jonah that's doing the praying. It's the pagans. Don't assume that you can judge the hearts of all the people around you. You must let God do the judging. Sometimes the pagans can act with more compassion than the so-called believers in Jesus Christ. Listen to how the sailors prayed in verse 14. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you." In the Hebrew language, there are a number of different words for God. El, Elohim, Yahweh, and so on. Yahweh is the covenant name of God. It's the name that the Jews used when they spoke of the God of Israel who made promises to them. It was the most sacred name for God in the Old Testament. They cra- these guys cried out to the God of the Bible, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. Do you see what's happened here? In verse five, each man cries out to his own God, but by verse 14, the men are praying to the God of Israel, the one true Lord of lords. That's an amazing thing. And as Jonah begins to wake up and come to his senses spiritually, God's work in the hearts of these, is working in the hearts of these pagans so much so that they begin to cry out in desperation to the one true God. The the, the great hand of God is at work, folks, in every situation, you've got to remember that. God often uses desperate times to wake up men so that they will finally cry out to him. Here he does this for Jonah, as well as for those pagan sailors who suddenly don't look so pagan anymore. Check out their theology at the end of their prayer in verse four, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So not long ago, these men were worshiping their own God, but now they're proclaiming the sovereignty of the one true God. So they do what Jonah says, they they throw him overboard. And the text says, and the sea ceased from its raging. And we learn two very important points here one from Jonah and one from the sailors. From Jonah's side, we learn this important truth. The storms continue until you stop running from God. We generally have smooth sailing waters when we first go our own way. Things look rosy, life seems to be all good because disobedience can bring a temporary reward. But be rest assured that the storm will be coming sooner or later. And those storms, make no mistake about it, are sent by God. And it's really his mercy that brings your prodigals to their senses and leads them to a place of repentance. Even though the voyage of sin may start out with a celebration, it always ends up in a raging storm. You always end up in the ditch. That's where God makes sure that that's where you're going to end up, because that's where you're going to finally cry out to Him. And from the sailor's side, we see something amazing happening in verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. So while Jonah is bobbing up and down in the sea, a revival breaks out on that ship suddenly it is filled with enthusiastic worshipers of the one true God. And where is that ship going? Well, it's still headed for Tarshish, but now God has a boatload of baby missionaries heading in that direction. And look how the story turns out. Pagan sailors now worship the Lord while Israel's reluctant prophet flounders out in the ocean. And while the sailors are praising God, the boat sails across the horizon, leaving Jonah to dog paddle into the middle of the sea. Jonah expects to die. It's actually a good place for him to be, probably, to get that close to death. He would rather die on the sea than than continue running from God any longer, but I want you to look what happens next, and here's point five. God reveals his grace in the midst of judgment. This is the part of the story that we know best. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I can imagine the Lord calling up a great fish and saying to him, I've got a job for you to do. And he probably said, here's the GPS coordinates to get to him. I need you precisely there at 2.32 p.m., uh, man's gonna be flopping and wailing in front of you, and I want you to swallow him. Don't chew him, swallow him whole. And then I will give you further instructions later. And the fish says, Yes, sir, and he swims away. <laughs> and is with, as like everything else in this story, the fish obeys God better than old Jonah does, because Jonah doesn't obey. So who sent the great fish? Well, oh, the answer is simple the same one who arranged the boat to Tarshish, the same one who arranged for the lot to fall upon Jonah, the same one who sent the great storm. God did it all. So why did he send the fish? First, to rescue Jonah from the sea. If the fish hadn't been sent to Jonah, Jonah would have died in the ocean. Secondly, it was to bring him to repentance. Listen, if you're a prodigal here today and you're sitting here with mom to be a good son or a daughter on Mother's Day, I've got some news for you. It is never too soon to stop running from God. And I implore you to not wait for the storm because it's not going to be pleasant. I implore you to not wait for the big fish to come and swallow you because that's going to be disgusting. And here's a word of hope for all of you moms who have children who at this very moment are running from the Lord as fast as they can. Go out today and buy the fatted calf and you get ready for the celebration. That's exactly the kind of attitude you must have and in the meantime you need to console yourself with these thoughts about your prodigal god knows where they are god knows what they're doing god knows how to reach them and god knows specifically how to bring them back and between now and then don't you ever give up don't ever give up you keep on believing you keep on praying because one day god will reach out his mighty hand, and he will bring your prodigal sons and daughters home at last. Amen. Scott, will you come forward and help me to close this down? Amen. This morning, I'm reminded, and I want to remind you of a very important truth. With God, there is no hopeless cases. There aren't. It doesn't matter how distorted and ugly a person's life can get, no one is beyond the reach of God. I want you to reflect back on the Saturday before Easter because there was a hopeless case in the garden tomb. But on Sunday morning, everything was changed. You never know what God will do or when he will do it, so you must keep on believing and keep on praying. God specializes in impossible situations. He does. And and, and He loves to prove that hopeless cases aren't hopeless after all. So to all the mothers here today who are broken over your prodigal children, to all the fathers and wives and husbands and friends who have loved ones who have been running from God, I want to encourage you this morning Do not be overwhelmed, for it is only through a move of the precious Holy Spirit that one day that they will be reached. And another thing you must know is when the Bible says that God wishes that none should perish, please understand something. He is even more passionate about your prodigal than you are. You can't fathom that in your mind, but that's the way God operates. He loves at a depth and a level that we will never, ever understand or be able to attain. God isn't resting with regard to the spiritual condition of your prodigals. He isn't. He has and continues to send the hounds of heaven after them to convict them and to bring them back into a relationship with Jesus. And at the time when you least expect it, when you come to the conclusion that this is a lost cause, you just watch Jesus do something special and he will bring them back because he desires to do that even more than you desire for him to do that. I feel led today to ask anyone here who has a prodigal in your life to stand to your feet because I wanna pray for you. If you have a prodigal in your life, brother, sister, you don't have to be a mother, you can be anybody, someone in your life that is lost, that is walking far away from the Lord, I want you to stand. Each person standing here represents someone who is on the run They're running away from the Lord. And the truth is, we all have prodigals in our life. If we thought about it, we would all be standing because there is someone we know that is running from God, someone who desperately needs Jesus. But as we're all standing here, perhaps you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You've never accepted his free gift of salvation. And if your mom is standing, you might be the very reason why your mom is standing up. So why don't you give her the best Mother's Day gift that you could ever, she could ever receive? Turn your life over to God. Receive the salvation that only Jesus can offer. The Bible tells us how you can receive salvation. It's very simple in Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When I pray in just a moment, all you need to do is, is to pray a simple prayer yourself, a prayer that must come from your heart. If you're just going through the motions, you're better not off praying, praying it at all. Pray it from your heart. If you truly want to receive salvation today, you tell Jesus that you acknowledge that he is the son of God, that he came to this earth and he died on the cross and the blood that he shed atones or covers or wipes away your sin. You tell him that you know that he is the only way to God the Father. And you ask him to forgive you of your sin and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness, the Bible says, and you will become, the Bible also says, a new creation in Christ. If you're standing here today on behalf of a prodigal in your life, pray that God will bring them through those five steps He's probably already on step three or four with him already. But he doesn't necessarily do them in those order, in that order. You have to understand that. Sometimes the storm is the last thing that comes. And it's what shakes people to their senses. Because God's way and God's timing is always perfect for anyone to receive salvation. So I want to ask you all to bow your heads with me. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for this Mother's Day, and I thank you for the mothers here today. What a blessing they are. I ask you to bless them today immensely through the love of their families and the things that they're going to do when they leave here today. But Lord, I know that many of them have prodigal children, and I know that there are others standing who have prodigals in their life as well, those who have walked away from the truth. And God, we we love these people. We care for them. Our hearts ache when we know that they are in the risk of of not going to heaven when Jesus returns. But Father, I pray that you would ease our hearts and instead of us worrying and fearing over that, that we would be reminded that you want them saved more than we do and that we would learn to pray every day earnest prayers for our lost loved ones, that those five things that you brought Jonah through would come through the life of our children, our friends, our relatives. They would experience these things not because we want negative things to happen in their life but if that's what it takes to open their eyes to the light of christ father we say do it whatever it takes lord there's nothing more important than salvation in christ jesus and so we say to you use your powers to do what you need to do to open their eyes to their blindness i pray father for anyone in this place today who does not know you that they would pray a simple prayer of belief in you and, and, and the need for you and asking you to come into their heart and to be the Lord and savior of their life. And then Lord, I pray that you will help us as a church to come alongside of them and to help them in their Christian journey, to disciple them, to make them stronger men and women of God. That's what we're here for. And Father, I pray that we would fulfill our mission in helping them. Father, I pray you'll take away fear from the hearts of moms toward their children in their lost state right now, and that they would go and take the mindset of I'm gonna buy the fatted calf and I'm ready for the meal when it comes. Because God, you are working behind the scenes. As that song says that we sing, even when we don't see it, you're working. Even when we don't feel it, you're working. You're working all things out and we thank you for that. Thank you for caring for our prodigals even more than we do. And I pray, Lord, as we go our separate ways today, that. We would not go in fear, but we would go in the confidence of knowing that you are in control and that we would commit ourselves to praying daily for our lost loved ones and that you would bring them home. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna end this service with a song. It's a song we sung before called The Blessing. I believe it is an appropriate song in light of what we've spoken about today. It's also appropriate that this is Mother's Day. As it talks about God blessing generation after generation after generation. We're all one big family. We're the family of God, but we also come from individual families, and we have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And this song is a prayer of blessing over them. I've asked Scott to lead this in worship. Lisa and I are going to exit and go get our place in the foyer so we can greet you as we leave. They're doing a shorter version of this, but I want to end the service in this song. When the song is done, you are dismissed, and we'd love to greet you out in the foyer as you leave. Thank you. The Lord bless you. And- your blessing is upon each and every one of us here today. May your favor be upon us, God. We pray you in your name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you for coming this morning here to High Point. God bless.